0: Likes to get attention. (laughs) I'm going to die in three weeks. You heard me. Right. The doctors have run their tests, and they're agreed. I have three weeks. The voice on the other end of the phone was a longtime member of this church, Paul Gordon, Retired pastor. And I'd phoned him up. We were both teaching in classroom B. And I said, look, next month I need you to trade places with me because I'm going to be gone. And he said, haven't you heard? I'm going to die in three weeks. Well, I'm thinking up here, you know. Paul, don't be so dramatic. You may have had a bad doctor's visit, but it can't be that bad. Then I went to church the next week, and Paul was there. And I began to believe him. Soon after that, I left on a trip. was gone for a few days, Bonnie and I. The first thing we did when we got off the plane was to visit Paul. I'll never forget that visit. Two things struck out. Stuck out. Number one, I have never seen anybody that yellow. He was almost bright yellow. I've seen jaundice, but not like this. But the thing that really struck me was the atmosphere of joy. I mean, it was an atmosphere of a party. Paul welcomes me in, Bonnie and me. And we, you know, shakes my hands, tells a joke. His daughters are there. On top of it all, his wife's got the beginning stages of a serious dementia. Paul. Could be joyful. His whole family was there. The atmosphere was wonderful. That was week two and a half. He died four days later. I'll never forget the joy on Paul's face in his actions. He was a happy man. Joy in the face of death. And then there was my father. My father was never a believer. His greatest disappointment was his oldest son, oldest child, became a Christian. That was bad enough, but the other three kids followed me. My dad always considered that the greatest failure of his life, that we'd given up the truth as he sought. He once told me that uh, in good Freudian style that only weak people need a father figure, God. Strong people like him didn't need God. I was in the Philippines, 2015, November. My dad's 96th birthday thereabouts. And I got a call from my youngest sister. Dad has had a massive stroke. He's in a care unit now, but it's not good. When I got home, I saw a very sick man. The next year was a disaster. He needed help on everything. stayed at my brother's, him, him and my mom. He was in pain. He couldn't take care of his basic functions. And he kept saying, why do I have to be 97? He wanted to die before his 97th birthday, but he was scared half to death of Dying. He had no hope. He asked me to bring him a gun. (laughs) I told him I'd get in trouble if I did. Well, actually, he asked me to shoot him. Well, not sure he wanted to die. He was kind of scared to die. But then he decided that uh, he'd starve himself to death. And so he asked my brother, whatever happened to George's book that he wrote about how to starve yourself to death? I hadn't really written one on that, but he was convinced. He said, I read it, but I can't find my copy. Anyway, so not knowing how to to get off the planet, gracefully, he decided that he would starve himself to death. Four days later, my brother phoned up, said dad decided he didn't want to die that way. (laughs) He didn't want to die, but he didn't want to live. Early October 2016, I went down to take care of him for a week, like we did every month, and I could see that he had another stroke, probably a mini-stroke or a series. And I looked at him, took his hand, Looked him in the eye. Said, Dad, you're going to get your wish. You're not going to have to be 97. And then I said, You better get it right with God. He said, with some conviction, I know. Now, I don't know what that means. Three weeks later, I was back at Southern Adventist University holding meetings, and I got a phone call. My dad had passed away. After 11 months of agonizing struggle. Whatever he meant is between him and God. But I do know this. The thief on the cross got in at the last minute. Maybe my dad did. I don't know. Someday I'll find out. I think of Paul Gordon, full of joy, knowing that his death was just a few days off. And I think of the struggles of my father, one full of confidence and joy, the other man frustrated and confused. As I look at that situation, one word. Divided the two. Hope. Hope. One of the most important words in Scripture is hope. One of the most important things that you can have in your life is hope. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, in the pew Bibles. It's 1152. 1152 First Corinthians. First Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13 is the great chapter by Paul about love. It's a great hymn of love. It's a it's a chapter to a warring church that needed to know how to get along and how to orient their lives. I'm just going to read the last verse. This is the conclusion of this hymn of Paul. So faith, hope, love. Abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Is it? Probably you can't divide these three. If faith is how we grab hold of God's gift, and if you've got a hold of God's gift of grace, the lifestyle that you live will be characterized by caring love to other people and to God. Faith, faithfulness leads to a life of loving and caring for other people. And what keeps us motivated to do such a thing? And that's where the third one comes in, hope. I don't know about your life. But I've tried to do some pretty nice things. At least I thought they were pretty nice things, only to get kicked in the face. I don't live for today. I live for the long run. And central to the long run is that little four-letter word, hope. Hope. That's the motive power behind Christianity. That is the end landing spot of the journey of faith. As we reach out, following the example of Jesus, following the example of God who so loved the world that he gave, that's my task. Faith leads to love, and all of it has the foundation of hope. And as I look at Paul Gordon, I thought of the Apostle Paul when he was just about ready to get executed. I don't know if you've ever been executed, I've been to Rome. I saw where Peter was crucified upside down. Gutless Peter, who finally had guts. I've been to the place where they say the Apostle Paul was beheaded. He knew where he was going. 2 Timothy, one of Paul's last letters. Second Timothy, the page here is eleven ninety nine in the Pew Bible, eleven ninety nine, Second Timothy four, Second Timothy four. Paul He's not going to leave the earth in his, the way he would have liked to go. Verse six. Now your translation is just a little different, but I checked them. All the essential ideas are the same. I just want to read these verses with you. Take a look. At the meaning that Paul is placed in them. For I am already on the point of being sacrificed, or as the New International says, being poured out as an offering. I am already on the point of being sacrificed. The time of my departure has come. Paul knows. This is the end. But I love his attitude. It's great. This is, the, this is what I hope I can say when that time comes. Now, by the way, I should tell you that, I, and this is true, I have absolutely no fear of dying. But I don't want to be around when it happens. <laughs> Could be a little on the messy side. <laughs> but here's Paul. He says, I know my time has come. I can see Paul with a smile on his face. I can see him like Paul Gordon. For a Christian, death is not the end. Several times I've preached up here with the family's permission, and I've worn a red shirt. not a black suit. Why should we be sad when a Christian dies? I mean, I think someday it's gonna happen to me. And I want you to remember, I want you to have a party. This guy finally made it. Next thing he knows, He sees Jesus. I mean, whew. Now, it might be hard on my wife. I have to admit that. Well, I kind of hope it's hard on her. (laughs) Christians have a hope. We face even the most difficult things in life. We can with a smile on our face and a song in our heart. Yeah. I haven't always been a Christian. At the time I was 17, I carried a false ID in my wallet so I could buy what I needed. To make it through the next weekend. I was raised by my dad. Till I found a new father. I, I I just I just love this passage. Paul has come to the end. It's not fun to get your head chopped off, even if the axe is sharp. I'm ready, already, on the point of being sacrificed. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. Ah, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. I love this passage. Paul is looking for the day, not only when he gets his reward, but we all get it at the same time. The Bible never teaches that we just float off. We go into the grave. We wait. Well, I'm going to get to that. We wait. And when that day comes, and that day is the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes, Paul gets his reward. The other Paul Gordon gets his reward. And all of us who've kept the faith who've lived the life of Jesus, the life of love, holding on sometimes with all we have because the going can be tough. On that day, there will be enough crowns to go around. And guess what? Nick, you're not going to worry about whether your crown is bigger than mine. We're all going to be brothers and sisters. What a day of rejoicing that will be. I believe the three greatest things in the world are faith, hope, and love. And love, excuse me, hope, is what keeps us tracking on. Go just a couple of pages over, a couple of pages over to the book of Titus. And uh, in your pew Bible, that's uh, 1201, 1201. Titus, the second chapter, it's about three pages over. And I want to read a powerful little passage down in verse 11. Now I'm going to read more than I need to read just because I like it. It's the nice thing about being the preacher, you can do whatever you want up here, and these people have to suffer through it. Don't worry, there's hope. Even a boring sermon finally gets over. <laughs> okay, verse 11 For the grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all people training us to renounce irreligion and worldly passions and to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world, awaiting our blessed hope. The blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. But that one passage there, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. So I appreciated some of the songs, and Dan, I appreciate the story. I first met Dan, he was communications director, I think, at the Potomac Conference. And that's the first time I've heard him communicate. (laughs) You need to get up here more often, Dan. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus calls, uh, Paul calls the second coming the blessed hope. What could be more blessed than Jesus coming again and rescuing us from these, what Paul calls, the body of death? Uh, Body of death. My wife recently found a picture of my high school senior year. Now, paste it on the wall where I can look at it and wonder what happened. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't know how I got from there to here. But the one thing I'm quite sure of is I can't get back. You know, I mean, he's crying out loud, it's not just that my hairs are all dead, and my eyeballs are dying, and my ears are pretty well shot. I don't even go beyond that. No! Bodies of death, and God wants to take them. That's what I'm going to preach about. My next term is July 4. I want to preach about the type of body we're going to have on the other side. The, body said, the Bible says it can't, well, anyway, it can't be flesh and blood, can't, it's, it's spiritual. Uh, anyway, what, what's it going to be like to be fully alive? 1 Corinthians 15, I'll stick to the text that day. Now, anyway, right now, all as I know, is this one here is kind of wearing out. My mom just passed away. I was orphaned at the age of 81 and 10 days. <laughs> Next Sunday, I drive down. My brothers and sisters, we're all getting together. We're going to take their ashes and scatter them on the hills above their favorite beach. My dad is awaiting the occasion in a seized candy box. I think he get a kick out of that. That's the only thing I want, is that seized candy box, because I want my ashes to go in it. My dad could know he's in a seized candy box. He'd have a good laugh. And he needed one. The blessed hope, Jesus, is coming back. And we'll be not partially redeemed. Right now we got a new mind, but he wants to give us a new body. He wants to give us a new world in which to live. I want you to turn with me to Revelation, the first chapter, page 1237 in the Pew Bible. 1237, Revelation 1. Revelation 1. I'm going to go to the middle of verse 17 it says fear not few bible says do not be afraid i mean my dad feared he was afraid jesus tells us fear not do not be afraid why I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I love that passage. Without that fact, Christianity would not exist. Last Easter, I preached a resurrection sermon that those disciples were about the wimpiest people on the face of the earth, and Peter was at the front of the wimps. And they were hiding in an upper room until the, up, the resurrected Christ met him. When they saw that even death could not hold him, they become different men. They became courageous. And it's that one fact. Christianity would have died with a bunch of cowering, sniveling, faithless disciples. Except for what Jesus says in this verse. And this is the reality of it all. Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys. Of death and the grave. Your Bible probably says Hades. That's the Greek word. It just means the abode where dead people live. Well, where dead people are. Okay? They're in the grave. Jesus has the key. Now, Jesus has the key of death. I mean, come on now. That's pretty cool. Because I'm looking out there. And if time lasts, all of you are going to be dead. I don't know if your mind will go before your body, but something's going to happen to you, and it ain't going to be nice. But don't worry. Jesus has the key to unlock the prison house death and the grave hope hope and here we need to say one thing in the Bible hope is not wishful thinking well I hope someday I'm you know that uh, something good might happen to me hope in Scripture Is certainty. We have this hope that Jesus has the key to the grave, to death. How come we have this hope? Because He rose. And because He rose, we will also if we've got a hold on him. Never forget hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is a certainty based on an accomplished historic fact. That Jesus rose from the grave. He broke the bands of death. And how do we know it? Because Christianity exists, because those whimpering disciples would have still been in hiding if it hadn't happened. They didn't even believe it until they had it. All that we have, their witness. Hope. We have certainty because Jesus has the keys to death and the grave. Peter became a new man because he'd seen the resurrected Christ. He knew that nothing could harm him, and I know that nothing can harm me eternally. We are safe in him. Next passage, 1 Thessalonians 4. Oh, this is my good funeral sermon. You know, some of you never show up for a good funeral sermon, so I'm going to give you one. Okay? I've preached hope all over the place in terms of funeral sermons. I've never preached one in church. So I decided I'd give us a good Bible study today on what it means to have Christian hope. First Thessalonians 4, that's page 1188. 1188. First Thessalonians 4. Oh, I love this passage. Verse 13. First Thessalonians 4, but we would not have you ignorant, brethren. Concerning those who are asleep. Now some of your Bibles will say asleep in death. That's not what the Greek says. The Bible just says they're sleeping. But that's what death is. So the, those, those added words are okay. Now the problem here, this is Paul's, probably Paul's earliest letter. And Paul had got these new converts, and they thought Jesus was going to come right away, and some of them had started to die. And so they're, they're, they're worried, and so Paul writes what's the, actually the best description of the second coming we have in Scripture. These people were worried, Paul says. But we could not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you may grieve not as others do, who have no hope. Ah, there's that word again. There's only two kinds of people. Those with hope and those without hope. Of course, Paul would say anybody that has a false hope would have no hope at all. He's going to explain that as we go along. But we would not have you ignorant. Brethren, concerning those who are asleep or dead, that you may not grieve as others. Now, it's all right to grieve. I was up to Walla Walla last week, last Sunday. Went to a memorial service for a man I respected very much. We've been friends ever since college. Worked with him, dedicated, sincere, But he passed on. And I grieved. But I grieved as one who has hope. It's all right to grieve, it's part of human, it's part of what we're supposed to be doing. But I grieve as one who has hope. This man was a believer, he had his hands clasped in the hands of Christ. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God, Jesus, through Jesus, God will take with him and bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a cry. Cry of command with the archangels call and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first Then we who are alive who are left shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we always be with the Lord. I love this picture. I would hope that Jesus would come in our time. But the picture is wonderful. Paul is telling those people, don't worry, they're going to come up. And those of us who are still alive, we're not going to precede them. First, when Jesus comes. Now, this is, there's nothing secret about the rapture. This is the rapture. It happens when Jesus comes. It's the least secret thing on the face of the earth. You've got the Trumpets blowing, you've got the archangel calling, you've got graves opening up. And I know the first thing that's going to happen is that the graves of those who passed on will open first. They will be caught up, and then we, says Paul, who are left alive, are going to meet them in the air. That's pretty cool. That is not the secret rapture. That is the most unsecret thing on the face of the earth. But it is a rapture. That comes out of this word, caught up. Comes through, not the Greek, rapture comes through Latin. And it means to be caught up, to be raptured, to meet Jesus in the air. That's hope. I don't want you To be ignorant, said Paul, like those who have no hope. We have hope. Even if we die, we're going to rise again. And if we haven't died, we're going to rise too, and we're all going to meet Jesus in the air as he takes us to his own heavenly place. I don't want you to be ignorant like those who have no hope. We have a hope. That's the central feature of Christianity. I firmly, I have no fear of death itself. I've had a couple, three or four close experiences that I won't go into now. I don't fear death. I know in whom I have believed. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. And I know that there awaits for me a crown of righteousness. Not only for me, but for every last person who's ever believed on the, gen- the name of Christ. That is hope. Otherwise, the world looks pretty hopeless. Particularly when you get to be my age and you look in the mirror when you don't have any clothes on. It's bad enough when you got clothes on. <laughs> now, There's hope! The blessed hope. Jesus is coming again. The conclusion of that passage I love. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. One last passage. I should stop now, but I'm not going to. Okay? You may hope that I will, but that's wishful thinking. It's not true faith. Okay, one last passage, Revelation, the 21st chapter, Revelation 21, verse, that's uh, page 1252, right at the end of the Bible, and I just, I just got to read this passage. Revelation 21, now we're down at the tail end of earth's history. Verse 21, it's after the millennium now. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That's where we've been for a thousand years, up there. But we're going to spend eternity down here. New heaven, new earth prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud cry from the throne of God, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former thing." have passed away. This is the climax of hope. And I like to look at the five things that aren't there. There's not going to be any more tears. I, I think I could live in a place like that. I don't know about you. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a crier. I could hardly watch a movie without crying. Let alone when things really go bad. There'll be no more tears, no more death. Right now, we've got eternal life, but eternal life is subject to the first death, that sleep death. When Jesus comes again, we get immortality. We'll never die. Neither shall be there any, no more mourning. Oh, Good. No more mourning, nor crying, nor pain for the former things are passed away. Hope. Central theme of Scripture. A central theme in every Christian's life. There are really only two ways Hope and no hope. Shakespeare, as Macbeth sang at a time of death and crisis, talking about Earth's history, and I quote, a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. William Faulkner, 100 years ago. Great novelist during the roaring 20s picked up on that. The Sound and the Fury thought it was his greatest book. Many art critics thought it was one of the most important novels of the 20th century. The Sound and the Fury. What is it? It's a family dying, disintegrating, a wealthy family, seen through the eyes of an idiot. In fact, you kind of wonder what you're reading as you read the book. It's reality, seen through the eyes of an idiot, as death and deterioration takes over a prominent family. The tale of an idiot. Lots of sound and fury, but no meaning. And this was the high 20s. Even rich people can't get meaning out of money in the end. Howard Hughes one of the greatest, wealthiest man of his generation. Died as a recluse with long fingernails, hidden in a dark room. No hope. Plenty of sound and fury, but no meaning. There's another way. The blessed hope hope that this earth does have meaning. And I have to admit there's plenty of sound and fury. There's plenty of confusion. The Bible reflects on it as the great controversy. The war between Christ and Satan. The war between good and evil. The war between life and death. It looks like there's no meaning. But there is meaning. And the Bible reveals that. That's that's why Christ came to demonstrate that there is hope. That he does have the keys to death and the grave. In closing, I don't want you to forget how to spell hope. That's your assignment today. Go home and write it on your napkin. Hope. H O P E. And if that's not enough of an assignment, try blessed hope. God, even in a world that looks like it's meaningless and hopeless, He has hope for everyone who will take hold of Jesus tonight today we're going to sing a song it's a song that I first heard when it was first sung and it's the first place my wife and I were ever in the same room 1962 the Cow Palace in San Francisco at the General Conference Session, this song. Now my wife, of course, wasn't my girlfriend. She was only 11. And I was 21. And I wasn't attracted to her, even if I'd seen her. But the song was, We Have